0: Let's pray together. We're thankful, Lord, for the privilege of being here together. We stop before you now. You're the living word, and we ask you to speak to our hearts by your spirit. Speak to our hearts by your word. Help us to open our ears and our minds and our hearts and to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. sorry, my allergies are in high um, gear today. I'm afraid I'm going to keep clearing my throat and wiping my eye, but please bear with me. It is that time of year, isn't it? Um, When I was in college, uh, I was a biblical studies major, but I also had other interests, and so I had a couple minors, in my degree as well. And one of them is in communication. And um, I've always been fascinated by the whole realm of communication. And there's two major aspects to consider, verbal communication and nonverbal communication. Verbal communication includes the words that are spoken, the tone with which they're spoken, the intonation, the volume, the words or phrases that are emphasized. All of these things affect the listener's understanding of what's being communicated but listeners are affected by what's being communicated non-verbally as well. The facial expressions, the hand gestures, and some of us talk more with our hands than others. I'm guilty. The position of one's body, whether we're open or closed. We can say with our words, for example, that the dinner that was made for us is really delicious. But if we turn up our face while we're eating it, our words may come across as just slightly disingenuous. Our body language, our body language, lowercase b, says as much or more than our words. Our body language, uppercase b, what we do as the body of Christ, also says as much or more than our words. When Jesus had his last supper with his disciples he said a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another according to Jesus that love for one another will be the mark of following him it will be what draws the attention of everyone through the centuries countless people have been drawn to Christ and his church through the love that brothers and sisters in Christ have demonstrated for one another. This morning we're going to be looking at some select verses from First and Second Thessalonians to get a glimpse of the effect that love for one another might have on a watching world. I was interested. I noticed this week. Um, I have this set of Bible study books from way back in the 1980s, before some of you were born, um, and uh, Chuck Swindoll published um, this series of Bible study books and his Insight for Living Ministry, and the book on 1 Thessalonians was titled Contagious Christianity. Loving one another as Jesus commanded is what makes our Christian life and faith visible to the world, and it's what makes it contagious. Who isn't drawn toward love? Before we dive in, though, to the, the select verses and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, I want us to briefly consider the setting of the letters to the Thessalonians. These letters were written by Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica around 50 AD. They are are, um, believed to be the earliest letters that were written to any of the New Testament churches, Paul's first letters. Paul's time in Thessalonica is recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. Maybe you'd like to read through that today. He spent several weeks there. We're told in in Acts 17 that he taught in the synagogue on three Sabbath days. So we know he was there at least three weeks. And Luke tells us in Acts that some of the Jews were persuaded that Jesus was the Messiah, and they joined with Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and many prominent women. The church at Thessalonica was born, which in turn caused jealousy among the Jews, who formed a mob and started a riot, and then they seized a man whose name was Jason and some other brothers whom they thought were hiding Paul and Silas. So as soon as it was night, to keep them safe, the believers sent Paul and Silas away. Well, before going to Macedonia in Acts 16, we learn that Paul and his companions were kept from kept by the Holy Spirit from going to Asia and to Bithynia. We aren't told how they were kept from going. It's a curious thing to me. I, I hope to find out someday. But they didn't get to go where they intended to go. We're told instead that they went to Troas. And there during the night in Troas, Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. That was the vision he had. Paul and his co-workers concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel to the Macedonians, and so they set uh, sail across the Aegean Sea, and the gospel went to Europe for the first time. It's amazing to think about, isn't it? That the gospel went to Europe at the first time at this time. Um, Keith, you can put that quote slide up. William Barclay, about the moment that Paul and his companions landed in Macedonia, wrote this. He said, but at that very moment, Paul must have seen much more than a continent for Christ. It was in Macedonia that he landed, and Macedonia was the kingdom of Alexander the Great, who had conquered the world Alexander, according to Barclay, dreamed of one world dominated and enlightened by the culture of Greece. So Barclay went on, Alexander declared that he had been sent by God to unite, to pacify, and to reconcile the whole world. And then he continues, it's hard to see how Alexander could have failed to be in Paul's thoughts. Paul left from Alexandrian Troas, which was named after Alexander. Alexander. He came to Macedonia, which was Alexander's original kingdom. He worked at Philippi, which was named after Philip, Alexander's father. He went on to Thessalonica, which was named after Alexander's half-sister. The whole territory was saturated with memories of Alexander. And this is what he said. And Paul must have thought, not of a country, not of a continent, but of a world for Christ. Thessalonica was a great city. It was busy, it was free, and by free, it meant it didn't have any Roman troops living within it. It was an affluent metropolis in the ancient world. Its economy was stable, its citizens were influential. But most significantly, Thessalonica was situated along the earliest known freeway, the Via Ignatia, the Ignatian Road, the road that linked Rome with the east. You can put up that map slide. Now, our projector bulbs are not as bright as they were when we once had them. um, So it's going to be hard for you to see, but um, here's Thessalonica. Can you guys, well, right there, Thessalonica. (laughs) I don't know how to bounce back and forth here. So this red line that goes across is the Via Ignatia, this red line that goes across there. Paul started out down off the map here, like Ephesus would be way down where that red dot is, like way down over here somewhere, Ephesus. Um, He he spent a lot of time in Asia Minor, but here he he got prevented from going to other places and went then up to Thessalonica, This, this town that's on a major road that joins Byzantium, which later was called Constantinople, named after Constantine, the capital of the Roman world, and it went all the way across Macedonia, across the sea, and then joined another road that would have gone up here, and Rome would be right about where that dot is, right about there. Um, The road joined the east and the west. Paul must have thought, not of a country, not of a continent, but of a world for Christ. You can take that down. As I said... Some Jews, a great many God-fearing Greeks, and a considerable number of prominent influential women whose ethnicity were not told, became followers of Christ. And the Jews, in a fury of jealousy, incited an uproar in the city. The believers thought it was best for Paul and his party to leave, which they did. And they first went to Berea. And then Paul left Silas and Timothy in Berea and went on alone to Athens. Then when Timothy rejoined Paul at Athens, Paul promptly sent him back to Thessalonica to encourage the new church. He was worried about this infant church that had just been planted. He was anxious to know how the church was doing. He was. He wanted to know whether they were growing in their faith and whether they were continuing to follow Christ. He, the scripture says he was afraid that the tempter may have tempted them to give up since following Christ meant persecution. We're told in Acts 18.5 that Paul and Timothy finally met back together at Corinth. and giving, That gave Timothy the chance to report on the state of the inf, infant Thessalonian church. And so it was from Corinth, around 50 AD, that Paul and Timothy and Silas wrote this first letter to the Thessalonians, and then the second letter was written shortly thereafter. The letters from Paul and Silas and Timothy to the Thessalonians had a number of purposes. There were things that they wanted to straighten out in their thinking. They were new Christians. They wanted to straighten out their thinking, whether they were about charges, false charges that were being made against Paul, or about the return of Christ, or about work and idleness. They also wanted to urge them to honor their spiritual leaders, to resist sexual immorality, and to stand firm even though they were enduring persecution because of their newfound faith in Christ. In these letters, Paul, Silas, and Timothy affirmed the Thessalonians being loved and chosen by God. They encourage them with their prayers and support. They urge them to live lives worthy of and pleasing to God. They strengthen them in their faith. In the midst of these many purposes for writing, there's another thread that runs all through what was written to the Thessalonians it's the thread of love and care. The love that God had for them the love and care that Paul, Timothy, and Silas had for these young believers, as well as the love and care that they were challenging the Thessalonians to live out. Throughout the letters, they're called to serve, to encourage, to care, to love, to love one another and to love everyone. Pastor Hank's weekly email blog uh, update that he sent out this week, suggested that we read and pray through First and Second Corinthians and keep an eye out for and mark down hints of our call to love and care for one another. Maybe some of you did that. It'd be interesting to compare our lists of verses. I'm not going to go through all the ones I found, but I found at least one verse related to loving and caring and encouraging in all eight chapters that make up these two letters. This morning, we're going to focus on this thread of love and care throughout these letters by looking at a few of the select verses. First of all, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Chapter 1, 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In these verses, three evidences that the people of the church in Thessalonica were saved are mentioned, faith, love, and hope. The first evidence, the scripture says, faith produces works. We know our works will not save us. Our works will never save us. It's a mistake when we think that we can earn our salvation. Our works will never save us. According to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, salvation by faith is the free gift of God, not because of works, so that no one can boast. Yet James clearly tells us that faith without works is not saving faith. He says faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith, living faith, produces works. Our faith should be seen through our lives, not just talked about. Body language. The second evidence in this verse, this, these verses, love prompts labor. Unsaved people live for themselves. In Second Corinthians 5.15, we're told, and he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And the preceding verse, verse 14, says, for Christ's love compels us, compels us. Love prompts labor. And then the third evidence, hope inspires endurance. Whether we're tempted to give up because of persecution or perhaps in our case here in North America, because of exhaustion. Hope in our Lord Jesus inspires us and helps us to keep going in our faith, as well as to keep going on in serving. Hope inspires endurance. Well, these three themes, faith, love, and hope, show up again in chapter 5, Verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians, where they say, but since we belong to the day or to the light, let us be sober or self-controlled, putting on faith and love as, breast, as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. But these three themes don't just show up here in 1 Thessalonians, do they? Think for a minute. As I said, the, the le- these letters from Paul were the earliest letters that he had written. These three themes, faith, love, and hope, must have been percolating in Paul's mind and heart over the next number of years, likely around five years before he wrote his letter to the Corinthians. They're also the theme of one of the most well-known and most beautiful passages in all of scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And a few verses later, this passage ends with these words in verse 13. And now these three remain. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There's that triad again. First Thessalonians, first Corinthians. Faith, love, and hope were what motivated and invigorated Paul, Timothy, and Silas for their work among the Thessalonians. And they called the Thessalonians to follow in their example. What motivates and invigorates you in your work for the Lord? In chapter two, for instance, they wrote in verses seven and eight just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. What a description! How does a nursing mother care for her children? with sensitivity to their needs, listening for their cry, listening for their hunger, with dedication to meeting those needs, with a determined unselfishness. In verse 8, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And then in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul Silas and Timothy pray for the Thessalonians to have the same kind of love. They say, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. When love is our body language, when love increases and overflows, lives can be changed. Gordon MacDonald, in his book, The Life God Blesses, tells the story of meeting a man named Ralph Showers. He says, I was introduced to a man known to many in this country, his name Ralph Showers. We were co-speakers at a conference for pastors. When I first shook hands with him, I was instantly aware that he had a serious physical disability. Both of his arms were missing and in the place of his hand, I found myself reaching out to shake a stainless steel prosthesis, an artificial hand. As I came to know Ralph Showers in the following hours, he said, I learned that this man in his late 50s was the director of Rainbow Acres in Arizona, a home and school for children and young people who were seriously affected with mental um, disabilities. His stories of their work with the boys and girls at Rainbow Acres were simply amazing, McDonald said. He said, after I'd given two of my talks at the conference, I met Showers for breakfast the next day. I asked him to speak more about the kind of people who were at Rainbow Acres. Why, I was curious to know, had he contented himself to work with mentally disabled people all of his life? His reply set me back, humbled me. I'm a simple man, Gordon, Showers said, so simple that when I listened to you speak last night, I struggled to understand what you were saying. And now, Showers had all of Gordon McDonald's attention. And he went on and he said, you see, I'm mildly mentally disabled myself. Every day is a frightening chore for me when I'm off traveling like this. I'm alone and I can often become confused about what is going to happen next. But God has called me to this work with mentally disabled people, and as long as he gives me the strength, I'm going to do it. I think you'd find the boys and girls at Rainbow Acres an inspiration. Their ability to love one another far exceeds anything you've seen in the rest of the world. The discussion went on from there concerning how Rainbow Acres had first been started and paid for. It was then that Ralph Showers told me the story of the loss of his arms. He had been working on some of the early construction of the ranch and his arms accidentally touched a power line. They were instantly burned so badly that they had to be amputated. But the story did not stop there. Sometime later, four New York lawyers came to Arizona to work on a settlement between Ralph Showers and the company that owned the power line. They told Ralph's attorney that they would give Ralph a check for $325,000 that day if he would sign away all other claims concerning the accident. Ralph instantly agreed to the offer, and his attorney immediately protested. He told Ralph, If you hold out and threaten a suit, they'll offer much more, as much as a million dollars. But Ralph said, I'm not that kind of man. Besides, $325,000 is all I need to get Rainbow Acres up and started. Tell them I'll take their check. A couple years later, Ralph Showers received a long-distance phone call. The caller identified himself and said, I'm one of the attorneys who came from New York to make an offer to settle with you on your accident a couple of years ago. I want to tell you something. Ralph invited him to go on. The lawyer said, when you accepted our offer of $325,000, the four of us who'd come to Arizona laughed. And we laughed all the way to the airport. We'd come to authorize to pay you. We, We came authorized to pay you as much as $1 million, but you never asked for more. And we went home delighted with how much money we'd saved our client. But as time went on, the man said, I became bothered by what we'd done. We'd taken advantage of your good nature and your unwillingness to be adversarial. I don't think I've ever met someone like you, is what he said. I don't think I've ever met someone like you. And learning something of your faith, he went on, I was driven to do something. I ended up visiting with a Christian pastor back here in New York. And I want you to know that today, I'm a Christian and a member of a church because of the kind of man you showed yourself to be. Body language. Ralph showers faith and love and hope for those with mental disabilities spoke volumes to this attorney. Years later, changing the trajectory and the final destiny of his life. Isn't that marvelous to think about? Ralph Showers shared the gospel with this man and he did it without saying a word about the gospel. Body language. In chapter four, Verses 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians, we read, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. All of us, no matter how loving we are, no matter how much we care about others' needs, no matter how much we're doing and serving, all of us can still grow. When, 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 when we're on this side of eternity, we can still grow. I was humbled last summer when I visited my friends in Zimbabwe and attended their general conference with them, which took place at Wenezie Mission for five days. To give you a little background, I had learned when I visited in 2016 and attended their annual women's conference with them, I had learned that my friends typically don't eat their meals in the dining hall as most others do. Instead, they pack food and cooking equipment and they prepare their own meals. I didn't really understand it. Maybe they didn't like the food that was being served. I thought it was wonderful. Maybe they didn't like waiting in line for their meal. Maybe it was just more comfortable for them to eat in a smaller setting rather than the big um, setting with lots of people. I really wasn't sure what the reason was. But this is what they had done during the women's conference. So I wasn't surprised that that was what we were doing once again when I attended the general conference with them last summer. So for the first couple days, I ate my meals with them in our room. But then I also ate a few times in the dining hall. So on this one particular day, I ate lunch in the dining hall with Think Grace, a young woman who's one of Denisa and Trezzy and Lovu's daughters. And when our meal was over, she and I went outside and we parted. She went her way, and I went to go back to the dormitory where I was staying, um, or, or so I had intended to do so I could freshen up before I had to go back to the afternoon session of the conference. Well, I didn't know my way around Juanese, and I got lost. And I ended up back at the gate of the AZ mission, not anywhere near my dormitory. So I had to go back to the dining hall the way that I came, and then find my way a second time to where I was staying. When I finally found my way, to where I was supposed to be, where I was staying, one of my friends was outside cleaning the dishes. They had just finished eating lunch, washing the dishes, so I stopped to help her. And as we stood washing the dishes and talking together, women were coming down the path on their way from other buildings to make their way to the conference session. So as we're doing the dishes, this small group of women passed And my friend called out after them, go, go. And then she called louder, go, go, because the woman didn't hear her. Go, go means grandmother. The elderly woman who was walking quite slowly behind the other three women stopped. And then all four of them came back toward my friend. She asked them to wait there for just a minute. And then she ran inside our dormitory. I followed her to see what she was going to do. She said something to my other friend who was inside, who quickly opened up her suitcase and pulled out a beautiful sweater with the embroidered emblem for the Brethren in Christ Church's women's ministry. They 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 embroider this emblem on the blouses that they wear uh, for the services and on sweaters. So she pulled out this beautiful sweater to give to Gogo, to this elderly woman. The woman put the sweater on, and then with care, my friends rolled up the sleeve because it was obviously not her size. And the woman beamed with joy. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, what do you need a sweater in Africa for? But honestly, they have a couple months that are winter, very cold, and then after the winter is past, it's still cold. Very cold in the morning, very cold in the evening, and you definitely need sweaters. Um, My my dear friends from Zimbabwe are sitting here nodding. Yes, yes. Um, It was a special moment for me to witness, Um, and I wouldn't have seen it had I not gotten lost on the path and delayed my getting back. I would have already freshened up and been back at the conference before this scene happened, I was so thankful that I got to see it. As if the woman's beaming weren't enough, the next thing I witnessed brought tears to my eyes. The three women who were with this elderly woman all started singing and dancing, while the humble older woman with the sweater smiled, filled with joy. They sang um, words that are translated, praise the Lord, praise the Lord who is so gracious. Let's love him. Let's worship him all the days of our lives. Hallelujah. Let's worship him for his wonderful grace. We are all invited today to come worship him. So I have a little video. I happen to video the women um, singing their song. You'll see on the right hand side of the screen, the go-go, the woman with the sweater. Keith, you can play it. Amen. Well, after the women left, before I ran off to the session where I was supposed to be, I asked my friends if they knew this older woman. They did not. They said they always try to bring things along with them when they attend the church's conferences, and they keep an eye out for older women who don't have much to share some blessing with them. I was so touched by their love and caring and intentional generosity. Then sometime later, I asked one of them why they bring and prepare their own food rather than eating in the dining facilities with others. They shared that whenever the conference is held, This time it was at 1AZ Mission, other times it's at the other mission stations, that any time the conference is held, that there are church women from those communities who may help to host the conference. They might help with the cooking and the serving and and the cleaning, but they themselves cannot afford to register for the conference, which includes a meal ticket. And so I learned in that conversation that my friends bring their own food so that they can give their meal tickets to some of these community women in order to help them enjoy being fully part of the conference. Wow. Their love and caring, their intentionality challenges me. We all can grow. In what ways can I purpose to love and bless others? Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. What about us here at HBIC? There's lots of love and caring going on here. Love is the motive for our ministries. It's the underpinning of our children and youth ministries, for example, to love children and youth, caring about them, helping helping them to experience God's love through Christ, and inviting them to open their hearts to that love. Love is the foundation of our various outreach ministries, as another example. As we work to help meet tangible needs in people's lives, whether it's the need for food or for school supplies or for medical care or for winter jackets for children or for help learning English or for so many other needs that we seek to help to meet, Jesus' love is demonstrated and hopefully experienced. Love is what our congregational care ministry team through our deacons is built upon, the many men and women Serving as deacons among us are praying for people and caring for the needs of people in our church out of love. Love is the engine that drives our meal trains or that motivates people to cook meals on Wednesday nights for our community meal. Love provides the solid rock on which our prayer ministry has been built. Love is behind even the less relational, more practical work of our property committee or our finance committee Both the building and our finances are cared for out of love for God and love for God's people. All of these things, as well as the rest of our ministries, I didn't name them all, our missions ministry, our hospitality ministry, our worship ministry, our women's ministry, our young adult ministry, our life group ministry, and on and on, all of them are built by love, are energized by love, reap fruit by love, love for God. Love for God's people, love for all people. In addition to the love that flows through our organized ministries, lots of love and caring goes on here, often unseen by the masses. Like every time we have a gift card table set up, someone slips me a gift card to be anonymously given to people in the church who may be especially blessed by some help with groceries. People care for one another's children. People give rides to one another. People fix someone else's computer. People visit and pray with the sick. And on and on the list goes. Recently, I visited an older person from our church, and I wrote down, as soon as I finished the visit, I wrote down exactly what she said on my phone. Isn't that funny I always say, we wrote down, and I use my thumbs? <laughs> it's, a new, it's a new writing. She said, it's so good to see the church being the church. The church is not a building. It's so good to see the church being the church. The church is not a building. Amen to that. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. As we seek to grow in Christ and in his love, 2 Thessalonians 3.13 is a good word for us. It says, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. It's the body language our world needs in order to understand the words of good news that we're trying to share with them. When Paul landed in Macedonia, as William Barclay wrote, Paul must have thought, not of a country, not of a continent, but of a world for Christ. Is that your hope and dream today? That the whole world would come to faith in Christ? That the whole world would be touched by Christ's love for them? It starts with us, with one person, with one interaction, with one expression of love in our body language, our body, the body of Christ, language. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your love that was demonstrated for us in Jesus. And you call us to demonstrate your love, to speak of it, yes, to tell people the words of life and the gospel message yes but also to live it god to demonstrate your love to have deeds that back up our words so god we ask you today to give us a vision in our lives with the people that we interact with of ways that we can be intentional and in loving that we can be intentional in serving and caring and being your representative and being your ambassador, God, we ask you to go before us. We ask you to fill us with your spirit for that work. Empower us. Thank you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God so loved the world, not just with words, but indeed. God so loved the world that he gave his son. We're going to be closing this morning with a hymn about that love and about that sacrifice. Alas, and did my Savior bleed. We'll sing of God's grace and his love beyond degree. His love that has no measure. That's what that means, beyond degree. It can't be measured. We'll also sing of our apt response to such love. In the last verse of this hymn, it's about our response as we sing, we invite the intercessors to come and any pastors to come. Um, we'll pray for you about anything. Perhaps you're um, hearing of Christ's love for you for the first time today, and you want to open your heart to Him. We invite you. We encourage you to do so. Perhaps you would like prayer for ways that that you can help to minister to other people, how you can love and serve others. Come and we'll pray for you about anything.